We have talked this week about a variety of topics, and we're going to switch gears a little bit for tonight and tomorrow night, and we're going to talk specifically about some things pertaining to the Christian family. Things that I hope can be encouraging and uplifting to you as a Christian family seeking to build your life and your family structure upon the Word of God. Psalm 127.1 says, Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. And I, I believe that truly and sincerely. That when we build our families upon the truth found in the word of God, we will be better off. We will have stronger families. We will have more faithful families. We will have better relationships between husbands and wives and better relationships between parents and children. And so this evening, we're going to talk specifically about the importance of fathers as it relates to this family structure and raising our children to be good, godly Christian adults. And I want to start with Psalm 127 verses 3 and 4. Where the psalmist here says, Lo, children are an heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are the children of the youth. And I want you to notice a couple of things that he says here. One, he says, children are a heritage of the Lord. Children are a blessing from God that we should receive in that manner. And I hope tonight if you're a parent or you have been a parent, maybe you're a grandparent at this point, but as you think about that time that you were a parent, I hope that you enjoyed that time. I hope that you saw your children as a blessing. And I hope those of you who are parents today to children that are still raising them in your homes today, I hope you look at them and you see them as a blessing. You see them as something to be cherished and something to be uh, to take responsibility for in a very serious manner, the way that you're raising them, the way that you're training them and preparing them to live as adults. I told you one of these other nights that some of my favorite people were sitting on that pew right over there. It's a different pew tonight, but those are my favorite people back there. And I love my sons very, very much. We have a lot of great times together. I cherish them. They're a heritage from the Lord. They're a blessing from God to me, and I see that. I hope you see that in your children. But I want you to notice the important illustration here that the psalmist uses of a mighty man. And we might picture a, a man of war, a warrior in our mind. And he says, a father is like this mighty man or this warrior, and he has his bow and his arrow. And he has a target picked out in the distance there, whatever it is that he's shooting at. And he takes that arrow, and he pulls the string on that bow, and he adjusts for the wind and all the other factors that he needs to take account of. And then he shoots that arrow towards that mark, and he's trying to hit that target specifically. And the psalmist here says, that's what children are to parents. They're arrows. As parents, we have a responsibility of sending our children out in the world. We have the responsibility of training these children to become adults who can function not only in society, but more importantly, who can function as servants of God, who see the spiritual nature of the world and can discern between good and evil. Children that grow up to be adults that love and serve God, that should be the goal of every Christian parent, that that's what we're working towards. And so as a, a father in the audience tonight, I want to ask you, have you envisioned that mark, that target for your children? Like that mighty man, that warrior, he's got a target picked out and he's pulled that bowstring back and he's going to release that arrow towards that target. What's the target that you're shooting for? Where are you seeking to send your children out to? What's that mark? Is it that you want your children to go to a good college? That you want them to get a good job? That you want them to make a lot of money? That you want them to marry a good spouse? That you want them to raise you some good grandkids? None of those things are necessarily bad. 
But when we consider those physical things, they will work themselves out if the character of our children is right. If we raise our children correctly spiritually, then those physical things will work out because they'll have a work ethic of a Christian. And they'll have the discernment to pick a good spouse because they're a Christian. And they'll raise their kids to be good godly people because they're a Christian. And so our goal should not be so physical, it should be spiritual. So fathers, I ask you tonight, what is that mark that you have set in your mind for your children? What is that target that you are seeking to aim them towards? I want you to know that there's a spiritual war raging around us right now. And we are in a spiritual battle as Christians. There is an enemy out there that is seeking to stop you from raising good godly children. And sometimes we get so busy in our lives that we forget that this battle is raging around us. But Satan doesn't forget. He wants you. He wants me. And he wants our children. And he wants to distract us from being the parents that we need to be so that he can lure our children away from spiritual teaching and towards the sin that he wants them to commit. 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 8 says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom you may devour. And I want you to know that Satan is not going to stop. He's not going to give up. He's going to try to distract you with all the different things of life. He's going to try to distract you with the other fatherly duties that you have. And we're going to talk about some responsibilities of a godly father tonight. But fathers can get out of balance because they can think it's all about provision. It's all about going to work. It's all about making money for their family. And then they lose the time spent actually to, to train them and to spiritually prepare them. And we get so involved in hobbies and these physical things that we enjoy that we forget the spiritual side of life. And that's Satan seeking to distract us from the duty that God has given us as fathers. We need to know and recognize that Satan is active. And he is seeking to turn our children's hearts away from God. But you know, Satan's not alone. And Satan's not like God. And I think we need to understand this, that God is omnipresent, right? He's everywhere all the time. God is all around us. Satan's not like that. Satan's a singular being. But Satan's not the only enemy that we have. In fact, Satan has a host of spiritual forces behind him that are helping him to tempt humanity like you and me away from God. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11, Paul says, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. And now we're going to talk at the end of this lesson about the whole armor of God and what that entails. But I want to pay attention to hear who he says our enemy is. We know we're fighting against Satan, but he says we're also fighting against principalities, against powers, and against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And what are those things? Well, those principalities, powers, and rulers of darkness are essentially the ranks of Satan's spiritual forces. That's what they are. And those forces of evil are doing their best to wage war against God, against righteousness, and against all things that are good in this world. And we can see the effect, I think, that they are having on our society today. If we're honest and we look around us, we can see the effect that Satan and his spiritual forces are having in turning our society and our world away from God. And if you don't realize this evening that you're in a spiritual war, then Satan has you exactly where he wants you. We are soldiers, brothers and sisters, soldiers in the army of the Lord, called out to fight against Satan, against unrighteousness, and against the falsehood that he presents to us and to our children. If we're not dedicated to this battle in our personal lives, and if we're not intentional about preparing and training our children to join this fight, they can easily become the victims of Satan's attacks on Christianity. We have to do everything in our power, specifically as fathers tonight, to keep that from happening. 
So I want to talk to you about how we fight that spiritual war for a moment. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 through 5, Paul writes, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. How do we fight against the spiritual forces today? It's not with physical weapons. It's with our minds. It's with our spirits. It's with our spiritual strength. The imaginations there that's mentioned in this verse means reasoning or arguments, which essentially equates to false knowledge or false logic, ungodly teaching. Everything that exalteth itself means every manifestation of pride. Pride in humanity, pride in ourselves and our own talents, our own abilities. And then it says that we're to bring every thought into the obedience or under the obedience of Christ. And I've mentioned a couple of times this week, the brother at home that I always think about his saying, but he said, thoughts are like birds, right? You can't keep them from flying over your head, but you can keep them from building a nest in your hair. And with the thoughts, his point was, you can't keep a thought from popping into your brain, but you can keep it from staying there. You can cast it out. And that's what this idea of taking every thought captive is about. That when thoughts enter our mind, that we take it and we say, is this obedient to Christ? If it is, we keep it. If it's not, we throw it out. Well, that's fine and that's great for us and we need that teaching as individuals, but what about as fathers when it comes to our children? Don't you think our children need to know how to fight against reason and logic that's ungodly and that's false? Don't you think they need to be trained and prepared for the false teaching that they're going to face in the world when they're adults? Don't you think we need to teach them the importance of an humble attitude and humility and not lifting themselves up with pride in themselves or in their own abilities or in humanity as a whole? And don't you think they need to be taught how to control their own mind and to self-discipline themselves so they can discern between good and evil? Our children need to be taught these things. And it is on us as fathers and us as parents collectively to do that and to teach them those things and to prepare them for that great job that they have to do as adults. That's our job as parents and specifically tonight as a father. I want you to know that's your job specifically. And as we think about our world today and the moral decline that's happened and this spiritual war that's been waging or that's been waged against our society by Satan, I want you to just consider some statistics here from Gallup. And these polls were taken, you can see the dates there. I'm going to throw a comparison up between 2001-2002 time frame to within the last couple of years, 2018-2019. You know, we talk sometimes with people and they say, well, it's a different world today than it was back in the 50s. Well, yes, it is, but it's a different world today than it was 20 years ago. A lot has changed and a lot has declined even in the past 20 years. In my lifetime, from the time that I was a teenager until now, there has been a lot of decay morally in our society today. And I want to show you some of these as an example. Now, Gallup didn't keep the numbers for 2001, 2002 for the first two, drinking alcohol and smoking marijuana. But as of 2018 and 2019, 79% of American society said there's nothing morally wrong with drinking alcohol. 65% said there's nothing morally wrong with smoking marijuana. As of 2001-2002, 7% of society said there's nothing wrong with infidelity in marriage, and that increased over the last 20 years or so to 10% of society that see nothing wrong with that. 38% said abortion, there's nothing wrong with abortion 20 years ago. That was up to 43% as of a couple of years ago. Suicide, 12% said there's nothing wrong with suicide, no moral problem there. Back in 2001, 2002, that was up to 20% that said there's nothing wrong with suicide as of a couple of years ago. Unmarried sexuality, 53% of America said nothing wrong with that at all 20 years ago. That was up to 71% as of a couple of years ago, said nothing wrong with that at all. 
Divorce, 59% of Americans said there's nothing wrong with divorce 20 years ago. 77% said that more recently. 45% of America believed that there's nothing wrong with uh, having a baby out of wedlock, being unmarried new parents. That was up to 65% as of a couple of years ago. Homosexual relationships were accepted and, and morally okay by 38% of the population 20 years ago. That's increased to 67% as of a couple of years ago. Two-thirds of our society will now say there's nothing wrong with that. And these statistics don't even go back to 2001 or 2002. But as of 2011, 10 years ago, 30% of the population said there's nothing wrong, morally wrong with pornography. And as of 2018, 2019, that was up to 43% that said nothing wrong with that at all. And teenage sexuality increased from 32% that said that was morally acceptable in 2013 to 42% in 2018, 2019. And that was only a six-year span, and it jumped 10% in approval rating. And I think as we look at those statistics, what it should show us is that there is a spiritual battle that's waging around us. It's, it's warring around us. Satan is winning in many ways. He is causing our society in America today to go further and further away from God, and we can see it. We can see it with the different belief systems, with the different laws that have been passed, with the different societal pushes. We can see those, that decay happening all around us. And that should be concerning to us as fathers and as parents. What kind of world are my kids going to be raising their children in? That's the scariest part of this to me, as I can see the decline over the past 20 years. But 20 years from now, when my kids are adults and they're trying to raise kids, what's it going to look like then? What are these numbers going to reflect at that point? The spiritual battle is raging. What are you doing about it as a father? You know, our children are watching TV shows that glorify suicide. They're watching movies that make teenage sexuality, alcohol, and drug use look harmless and fun. They're living in a society where homosexual relationships are considered normal. And where gender fluidity is normal. They may have friends that are living these types of lifestyles. What are we doing about that? Are we preparing our children to face these realities, these falsehoods, these false lines of reasonings and arguments, these manifestations of pride, and these ungodly thoughts that have been carried to the nth degree by our society? Are we preparing them for those things? I believe that fathers need to step up and lead their families, and that God is calling us as fathers specifically to take the lead in teaching our children that these issues of morality, these are from Satan and not from God. This approval rating and this direction the country is going, that it's heading away from God, not toward it. And that we need to be ready for the battle that's not only waging now, but that's coming in the future. Because there's a greater battle coming. And if our society continues to go the direction that it is, our children and our grandchildren are going to be fighting battles that you and I can't even imagine today. And because probably we're fighting battles today that our parents and grandparents didn't imagine that we'd be fighting. And it's probably just going to get worse. We've got to prepare our kids to live in that type of a world and in that type of society. Now, I want to tell you that leading our families does not mean putting our children away in a box and closing them off from everything that's going on in the world and keeping them safe and protecting them and saying we're not going to expose them to anything and we're not going to let them see the realities of the world. There are some parents that want to take that approach. But there's a problem with that approach. The problem with that is it may work while you have them in your home and while you can protect them, but eventually they're not going to be in your home. At least that's the goal. They're not going to be in your home at some point. And when they exit out of that bubble that you've created for them, they're, going, they're not going to be prepared for what awaits them on the outside. 
And I think we do our kids an extreme disjustice, injustice, when we choose not to train them and prepare them for what's out there, and instead we just try to protect them and not let them see it. I think we do our kids a great injustice. And I think we need to rather take the approach that says we're going to teach and train and prepare our children for how to fight the battle because one of these days they're not going to have us as their mom or their dad telling them what's right and what's wrong. They've got to be able to figure it out for themselves. And they've got to be able to make those decisions themselves. Now, while I recognize there may be times as parents, and there's age-appropriate levels to all of this, and there may be times where we need to protect them from things, I'm certainly not saying that that's wrong in every situation. But I believe that our primary focus should be to teach them the realities of the world and how God wants us to view those things and the decisions that God would want us to make in those scenarios and teach them how to do that for themselves. And that training and preparation will allow them to step out on their own in a prepared way to face the temptations that Satan will throw at them. And it is our job as fathers to take the lead in this. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 23 says, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Now head there in this passage means metaphorically anything supreme, chief, prominent, master, lord. Now, husbands, I'm not saying you go home tonight and say, you have to call me Lord because I'm the head in this relationship. I know Sarah called Abraham Lord, but still it's probably not a great idea to go home and tell that to your wife. What I am saying is that the Bible is very clear about the family structure and who God has called to be the leader in the home. And there may be some men in the crowd tonight that don't like that. There may be men in the crowd tonight that don't want to step up and lead, that would rather sit on the sideline. There may be women in the crowd tonight that don't like that, that would rather take the lead and not allow their husband to. There may be some wives in the crowd tonight that are forced to take the lead because their husbands refuse to. But I just want us to recognize that the biblical pattern in the family structure is for husbands to take the lead in the home and to take the onus upon their own shoulders to say, this family is going to serve the Lord. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And that is the husband's responsibility given by God to do. Remember that this structure is compared to Christ in the church. And I don't want to get this misunderstood. Because this does not mean that husbands should be domineering. And should not be loving. And should not be good communicators. And should not listen to their wives. And respect their wives. And all those things. Remember this is a comparison of Christ in the church. And though Christ was the authority. And is the authority for the church. He is also loving. And gave everything for the church. Including his own life. And so as husbands, we take that responsibility of headship to, yes, mean taking the lead and being the authority in those things, but also in showing an extreme amount of love and compassion to our wives and our family as Christ did to the church. And then, of course, wives there in that relationship being compared to the church, that the church recognizes that Christ is the authority and that the church submits to that authority. And that's what God is calling wives to do as well. Notice in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4, the scripture says, And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Now, mothers and fathers should both be doing this, but notice that Paul, through the inspiration of the Spirit, has specifically called out fathers in this, to not provoke your children to wrath, but to bring them up, to train them, to prepare them in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Nurture there means education or training, admonition, means instruction or warning. The idea is that fathers are taking it upon themselves to give education and training to their children spiritually about God, about what's right, about good and evil and that battle that we're fighting, about Jesus and his salvation and what that means to mankind, and an instruction or warning about the eternal ramifications of decisions, about the consequences of sin, about the two paths of eternity that all of us will face. 
Those are all conversations and precepts that fathers should take the onus upon themselves to teach to their children. I want to talk for a few minutes here about the responsibilities of a godly father. Let's talk about what that really looks like scripturally. What is God calling you as a father tonight to do for your family? Well, first of all, he is calling you to provide for your children. 1 Timothy 5 verse 8 says, But if any provide not for his own, and his own, especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. Now the context of this passage is talking about a person providing for elderly members of his family, but I think the reverse is certainly applicable and true, and we recognize that from other principles found in Scripture as well. If a man does not work, neither shall he eat. There's a work ethic that Christians are supposed to have, and husbands and fathers are specifically put in charge of making sure their families are provided for. If a father is lazy, or can't keep a job, or is financially irresponsible, think about the physical and emotional toll that that can take on children. A child witnessing that laziness or that financial irresponsibility is more likely to be worried and stressed about their own food, their own clothing, their own shelter, and thereby not able to as well consider the more important spiritual things of life because they're too concerned about the physical things because their father has not provided those things well for them. And they're much more likely to mimic those behaviors in their own life as an adult. If they've witnessed you as a father being lazy and incompetent in that way or irresponsible financially, you're modeling behaviors that they're probably going to copy unless they're able to rise above that on their own later. If you want to, that arrow that you're shooting out into the world to hit its target, you need to be willing as a father to step up and say, I'm going to provide for my children and I'm going to show a good, responsible example of that. But that's not all that God has called you to do as fathers. God has called you to love and to spend time with your children. Proverbs 3 verse 12 says, For whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth, even as a father the son in whom he delighteth. Do you delight in your children? I mentioned that I love my boys and I love the things that we're able to do. We get out and we, we play catch. And they ride their bikes and I'll go walk with them and we'll build Lego sets together. And Eli's got a favorite video game right now that I'll get on there and I'll play with him. And we have a great time doing that. We get down on the floor and we wrestle. We do all sorts of fun things together and we love it. I delight in my children. But I also delight when I see certain things in my kids. Things like the education and the training that we've tried to give them when it all clicks. You know, and you see them do something on their own and it's good and you think, yes, way to go, son. That's what we want to see. We should delight in our children. That should be something that we, that we look at very seriously and that we love our kids. That we make sure that they know that we love them and that we care about them. You know, sometimes our actions and our words don't show the type of love that we oftentimes do have for our kids. But I think as men and as fathers, sometimes we're hesitant to show that kind of love. Or maybe to say those words, I love you. I think fathers need to say those words to their kids. I think they need to hear it. I don't think that makes you less manly. I think it helps your children. I think they need to know that their dad has their back and that their dad cares about them and loves them. And I think it will help build their self-confidence. I think it will help build trust in a relationship between father and child. And that trust is going to be vitally important if you want to be able to have a role as a coach and an advisor in their life in that time of transition where they're becoming adults and they're making those decisions on their own. That trust is is crucial to build. And we build that by loving them and spending time with them and showing them that and saying that to them. So I want to encourage you to make sure that your children know that you love them. 
Make sure that you're spending enough time with them. Deuteronomy 6 verse 7 says, And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. Now you remember the context here. He's talking about the old law and encouraging parents to teach the precepts of God to their children at all times. When they're laying down, when they're rising up, when they're walking, when whatever activity that they're doing, that they're spending time with their children teaching the precepts of God. We need to spend time with our children. If we don't spend that time with them, we won't have the opportunity to do this. To teach them the important things of God. You know, it takes time and diligence to teach these things effectively. And if you're spending too much time at work, you're spending too much time in other activities and other things you've tied yourself up with, and you're not spending time with your kids, you're losing out on valuable opportunities to train them and to teach them spiritual things. Your kids are going to spend time with someone. They're going to spend their time somewhere. And I want to ask you tonight, who has the most influence in your child's life? Who spends the most time with them? Is it their babysitter? Is it their teacher? Is it their friends? Or is it you as a parent? And I recognize that obviously families that have mothers and fathers share that role and share that responsibilities and mothers are just as important in the raising of good godly children as fathers are and we're not seeking to marginalize the mother at all tonight. But we're trying to call out fathers and let fathers know what God has called them to do in this relationship. If we want to have influence over our children and properly train them, we have to spend time with them and prioritize that training. God is calling you to train and instruct your children in his ways. Proverbs 22 and verse 6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, we recognize that there's free will as adults. And this is a general truth. This is not something that God is guaranteeing. That your kid's going to grow up and always be faithful as long as you do everything right. That's not what God is saying. This is a general truth. But it's a common sense principle. A general truth that when we train our children correctly... That's going to stick the majority of the time. And if we're doing our job and being intentional about that training, it gives our children a much greater chance of success, not only in this world, but of course in their spiritual life as well. And I want to encourage you tonight to make an intentional effort to bond with your children, to spend the time with them, training and instructing them, having important conversations with them, sit around the dinner table with them and ask them what's happened during the day. Ask them what them and their friends have been talking about. Ask them if they have any questions about anything that they've heard recently. Speak to them and converse with them and have those crucial conversations that they need to have with someone. If they're not having it with you, they're having it with somebody else. And we need to be careful and think about who they are having those conversations with because perhaps the person they're having it with is not giving them the godly answers that we would prefer to give them. And I think it's up to us to make sure that we're proactive in spending that time and training and instructing them. You know, as fathers, we're also called to correct and discipline our children. Proverbs 13 and verse 24 says, He that spareth his rod hateth his son, but he that loveth him chasteneth him betimes. Chasteneth them betimes. That's a good King James phrase, isn't it? That means rebuking or correcting them diligently. Rebuking or correcting them diligently. Being diligent about making sure that we correct them when they do something wrong. What happens to a child that's not disciplined and it's not corrected when they do something wrong? They grow up without understanding boundaries, without being understand the consequences of their actions, without being able to decipher right from wrong or knowing how to control their own physical passions and lusts that they are going to feel as teenagers and as adults. 
You know, I want you to know this evening that your children are going to do wrong. And we've talked a little bit about this this week, but I think it's important for us to not glaze over on our eyes and assume that it's everybody else's fault and not our kids. Our kids are going to make mistakes. Our kids are going to do wrong things. Even as a good parent, you're going to have kids that are going to make mistakes and they're going to do wrong. It's a part of the growing up process. It's a part of being a child. Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction will drive it far from him. Kids will be kids. I truly believe that. But you know what the next phrase needs to be? Parents need to be parents. Kids will be kids and parents need to be parents. We can't just let kids be kids. We've got to parent them and correct them when they do something wrong. What will you do when your child makes a mistake? What will you do when they come to you and they admit that they've done something that's sinful or that's wrong? They've made a bad decision. Will you get angry with them? Will you lose your temper and blow your top? Overreact to a point where you crush them? Where you lose trust with them? And where they become fearful about ever approaching you to talk about the real issues of their life ever again? They will go to someone. For my family, I want to create an atmosphere of trust with my children where they know they can come and speak to me about the important things that are going on in their life, even when it means they have done something wrong. I want to be the person that they're able to come to and to talk about that with. And I don't want to be the kind of parent that overreacts to that and gets so angry about the thought of what my child has done that I, that I lose that relationship and that trust with them. Because what you don't want is a teenager who's struggling with something, who feels like they don't have somebody that they can really go and talk to, at least nobody that really has their best interest at heart. I think we as parents ought to want our children to come to us and to have the real conversations with us. But if we want them to have real conversations with us, we have to be willing to have real conversations with them. And they will know when we're not being honest. And they will know when we're not being real. Now all of this, once again, should be age appropriate. And I'm not saying that we have to be brutally honest about everything with our five-year-old. That's not what I'm saying. There's different levels to this. But we do our children a great disservice when we refuse to actually prepare them and train them for the real things that they will face in life. I want to encourage you tonight, when your children come to you, when they've done something wrong, when they've made a mistake, stay calm, listen to them, and hear them out. Be real with them. Remind them about the consequences of actions and show them the very real progression. If they've not come to that conclusion already for themselves, make sure they understand that, hey, you did this. It's done. We can't change it. But what do we do to fix it? What do we do moving forward? Why is that a bad decision? And let's talk through that. What makes that a bad decision? And what's a better decision that we can make in the future when we come to this? That's the type of training that our children need. They need a coach and an advisor that they trust and that they'll come to and that they'll talk to. And I want to encourage you to be that as a father for your kids. I think a father is called out to prepare his children for adulthood. Hebrews chapter 5 verse 14 says, But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. You know, there's a spiritual principle here that there's a process of growing up, 
even spiritually, right? Where we start as a young Christian and we're drinking the milk of the word. But over time, we're supposed to be growing. We're supposed to be strengthening. And we're eventually supposed to eat the meat of the word. We're supposed to have a greater maturity spiritually. And the same thing happens physically. But with our children, as we're raising them physically and we see that maturity happening physically, that same maturity should be happening spiritually. And we should allow their spiritual self to grow in line with their physical self. And make sure that we are preparing them to be able to eat the meat of the word as well. I think that we should be preparing our children to be good adults. As a father, you're not just raising kids. You're raising future adults. And I think we need to remember that and keep that in the forefront of our mind. We need to have that adult target set in our mind for where we're seeking to shoot our children towards. Recognize that we need to teach them how to make those decisions. What is your parenting philosophy tonight? Is it obedience or is it self-discipline? Now, this is a bit of a trick question because both are important. And I'm going to tell you, my oldest child is eight years old, so I'm not going to stand up here and pretend that I know what it's like to raise a teenager. I promise you I'm not going to do that. What I am going to tell you is that I have the eight years of experience with my kids, and I have myself as a teenager that I can go from. And it wasn't that long ago I was there, and I remember. And so I can give you some experiences from that perspective as well. But what's your philosophy, obedience or self-discipline? You know, when your kids are little, they need to obey you. And they need to obey you probably primarily because you're the parent, and it can end there. And there really doesn't have to be that much more than that when they're real little. They just need to obey. They need to recognize that mom and dad are the authority and that they're going to obey and submit to that authority. But as they begin to get older, we need to teach them why. It needs to go deeper than that. It needs to go deeper than just dad said so, so that's why I do it. If we still parent that way when our kids are 16 and we don't spend the time and dedication to explain why they should make that particular decision... We'll create kids that either can't or won't discern right from wrong on their own. They need to go from, eating mi mi or from drinking milk to eating meat. You need to encourage them to start making these decisions. And what that's going to mean is when you get to that certain point and you see your child and they're approaching that point where they're getting ready to transition into the world, they've got to be able to make some of those decisions. And it should not all be about as, because I said so. I'm the dad. And you've got them under your thumb. And you're controlling them and you're ensuring obedience, but they haven't learned how to self-discipline. They haven't learned how to discipline them, them, their own selves. And that's going to be a problem because as soon as they're out from under that thumb, you know what they're going to do? Most likely, they're going to be rebellious. They're going to try the things they've never been able to try before. And they're going to have no depth of understanding about why you wanted them to do things a certain way. And I want to encourage you to not do that with your kids. Make sure they have a deeper understanding of why decisions are being made. Are you preparing them for being adults? You're not just raising kids. You're raising future adults. God has called you to model godly character and behavior for your kids. Proverbs 10 verse 9 says, He that walketh uprightly walketh surely, but he that perverteth his ways shall be known. What do you think will destroy all of the training and preparation that you attempt to give your children? Your own hypocrisy. That'll destroy it in an instant. It'll destroy every bit of credibility that you have in your children's eyes. When they see you doing the very things that they're telling you not to do, why in the world would they listen to you? Have you ever seen your own faults in your child? How does that make you feel? That doesn't make me feel good. When I see in my own children my own faults coming out in them, that feels terrible. Because I've modeled for them, I've exemplified something for them that's not good and not right. And when they begin to have the same struggles that I have, that's a terrible feeling. 
I don't want to model those things for my children. I don't want to model mistakes for them. I don't want to be a hypocrite. I don't want to be the do as I say, but not as I do type of parent because that's not going to be credible. And my kids are not going to listen to that and follow that advice. If they see in me those very things that I'm telling them not to do, they're going to ignore my instruction. We have to be credible as fathers and parents and model out godly character and behavior in ourselves. And so I want to encourage you fathers tonight to ensure first and foremost that you are living the type of Christian life that God has called you to. To make sure that you're modeling the right behaviors and the right godly precepts for them. And then you can take those things and begin to teach them to your children and train them up in the way that they should go. You know, fathers in our society have been intentionally marginalized. Have you ever noticed that? Whether it be through TV shows or movies or commercials, fathers have been portrayed as incompetent, immature, and buffoons, quite honestly. But you know, it's actually been getting slightly better recently because there have been fathers that have been standing up against this. And not even just Christian fathers, but fathers as a whole who are recognizing that this image and this portrayal is not right. But I'm going to give you some examples. Sarah Peterson, who's a journalist for the Deseret News in Salt Lake City, said if you watch TV, then you've most likely witnessed the portrayal of the modern day husband and father as lazy, incompetent, and dumb. Just these three characteristics are sure to bring to mind one commercial or sitcom that personifies this type of man. And I'm sure the collective audience tonight has seen enough sitcoms or TV shows or whatever to probably think of a few examples of these shows where the father is portrayed this way as immature and incompetent. Christopher A. Brown, who's the president of the National Fatherhood Initiative, said fathers are still often portrayed by the consumer brands as one extreme or the other. On the one side, fathers are shown as incompetent, foolish, and emotionally disconnected as parents. The double standard involves competent, wise, emotionally connected mothers who must often rescue those fathers. You know, the reality is that mothers and fathers should be working together. They are a team Designed by God to be a parenting team. And both are extremely important and crucial to the development both in this life as well as spiritually of our children. But our society, of course, has been attacking fathers in these ways through these TV shows and these commercials. I'm going to remind you, you may have seen these commercials. They aired a few years back. But it was a series of Huggies ads. And there's a couple of them in particular I want to draw attention to because they got a lot, of, um, a lot of negative feedback from fathers who were upset about the portrayal of fathers here. But this particular commercial, this first one, it was showing these dads in this house and they're chasing after their kids and they're trying to change diapers and they're, they're trying to do all of this parenting stuff. And you've got this voiceover that says these words as it's showing that these dads struggle with these. It says, to prove Huggies can handle just about anything, we put them to the toughest test imaginable. Dads alone with their babies in one house for five days. And it's got this dramatic reading and all that. And it's like the worst test imaginable for these kids and for these diapers and this brand is for dads to be taking care of their kids. I mean, somebody call CPS, right? The mom left the baby with with the dad. It's the worst thing imaginable for these dads to be taking care of their kids. And it portrayed them as just being totally incompetent and unable to do these things. There's another uh, Huggies commercial that aired as well during the Super Bowl that showed these dads so enthralled with watching the game that their kids were sitting over there in soiled diapers for hours not being taken care of because the dads were so focused in on the sports. I'm sure that there are some dads, unfortunately, maybe a few that have done that, but that portrayal is just totally unfair. 
It's totally unfair to fathers. And we can laugh and smile about those things. And it's funny, ha ha. But at the end of the story, those types of subtle messages in our society, it undermines the God-given role of the father. And the God-given responsibility that we have as men in our homes to both be the head of our family and to raise good godly children and to have that authority. And if our kids are seeing in these TV shows and these commercials that dads shouldn't be respected, why would we expect them to think differently about us? And if our wives are seeing constantly over and over again in our society, dads portrayed as incompetent and immature and unable to handle the parenting responsibilities, then it's no wonder that we have sometimes these issues in marriages because our society is engineering these thoughts and they are sending these messages to our families. And dads themselves who see this portrayal and think, well, maybe I am bad at this. Maybe I really am incompetent. Maybe I really can't do this. And I just want you to know that God has called both fathers and mothers to be parents and to be good parents and to work hard at it and to do their best at it. And both are extremely important. Fathers have a tremendous impact on their children. According to the U.S. Census Bureau in 2017, there were 19.7 million children, more than one in four, who lived without a father in their home. And those children who lived in a fatherless home were more likely to have behavioral problems, more likely to face abuse and neglect, more likely to abuse drugs and alcohol, more likely to commit crime, more likely to go to prison. They had a two-time greater risk of infant mortality, a four-time greater risk of poverty, two times more likely to suffer from obesity, two times more likely to drop out of high school, and seven times more likely to become a teenage parent. These kids without fathers in their homes. Now tell me that fathers are not important. Tell me that the family structure that God has designed is not the best structure. It does not matter what our society says. It does not matter what they present in the sitcoms or in the commercials. What matters is what the word of God says. And the word of God says that fathers and mothers together as a team is the very best thing for children. And we recognize that there are situations today that because one spouse has been selfish and left, that single parents are forced to make those decisions and raise their children the best they can on their own. And the church is there as a support system and structure to help in those situations. And God bless you if you're in that situation. Keep doing what you're doing and keep doing the best that you can. But that does not change the truth that the very best success The best chance of success your children have is to be raised by a godly father who takes his responsibility seriously and a godly mother who has joined her husband in saying we're going to be a team that parents the way that God has called us to. And when we do that, we give our children a great chance of success, not only in this life, but in, of course, the life to come. In an analysis of over 100 studies on parent-child relationships, it was found that having a loving and nurturing father was as important for a child's happiness, well-being, and social and academic success as having a loving and nurturing mother. Some studies even indicated father love was a stronger contributor to some important positive child well-being outcomes. The studies and the statistics back it up that God's design is just best. There's no way around it. There's no way to make an argument that it's better any other way. And so I want to encourage you this evening to build your family on the word of God. Build your family on that truth. And recognize that this isn't even talking about spiritual success. This is just talking about general life success. And if it's true for general life success, you better believe it's true for your children's spiritual success as well. Now, I want to remind you of David's impact as a father tonight. And I'm not going to spend much time on this because on Monday evening, we talked about Absalom and we talked about some of David's failures as a father. 
And if you'd like and you, you haven't heard that, then you can, you can go find that sermon on the, on the YouTube or the podcast. You can listen to it if you want some more detail about the story. So I'm going to walk through it pretty quickly tonight since we've already covered it here this week. But I want to remind you of a couple of things. Acts 13 verse 22 calls David a man after God's own heart. David was a good man. And David in many ways was a great king of Israel. But David had some failures as a father. And in 2 Samuel chapter 11, we see the story begin of David and Bathsheba. And you remember that David took Bathsheba, he committed adultery with her, committed sin, ended up having her husband killed. And there were a great many consequences that came from David's sin. One of those consequences was that David's oldest son, Amnon, took his father's example of looking over and seeing something that he wanted and taking it. And he went and did the very same thing with his half-sister Tamar. And he viciously attacked his sister Tamar and took what he wanted from her. And David did nothing about that. But Absalom, Tamar's full-blooded brother, after Tamar was distraught and crying, Absalom murdered Amnon. So remember, David as the father has a son that has attacked his sister, has a sister that has now been, been defiled and, and is suffering shame because of that, now has another son that has committed murder. And then this same son, Absalom, eventually works his way back into his father's good graces and then steals the kingdom out from under him and convinces Israel to follow him in a resurrection against his father. And they meet in this great battle, and eventually David takes his throne back, and Absalom loses the battle. But even then, David was still more concerned about his son than he was about the troops that fought for him. And if you were here Monday night, you remember the details of that story. Now, as we think about some application from that, I want us to consider that even though David was a good man, and he was a good king in a lot of ways... His failure as a father greatly contributed to the failure of his children. He provided an example of bad behavior that his kids imitated. He did not show consequences to his children for the bad behaviors and the bad things that they did. He did not punish Amnon when he attacked Tamar. He allowed Absalom to come back and to steal the kingdom. And he still didn't want Absalom to be killed or punished. David couldn't see the faults in his own children. He didn't take responsibility for that. And though David was a good man, he was kind of a bad father in a lot of ways. You know, you may be here tonight and you may, be, you may consider yourself a good man and a good Christian. And maybe you are. And maybe you've dedicated yourself to the work of the Lord and the work of the church. But maybe you're so dedicated to spiritual things that you forget about your primary evangelistic field. You forget about the most important responsibility that God's given you and that's your family and that's your children. You may be a really good Christian, but maybe you're a bad father. You may be really good at providing for your family. Maybe you're the expert at that and you can go and make a great living for your family and you know how to make money and you know how to do that well and you do it well. But you spend all your time doing that and you don't spend it with your kids. You may be a really good provider, but you might still be a bad father. I want you to consider the spiritual impact of your decisions and how that impacts the, the lives of your children. The decisions that you make each and every day that they see in you, that's going to influence the decisions that your children make not only now, but in the future. And tonight, I want you as fathers to be encouraged to stand up and to lead, to be the father that God has called you to be. 
In Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 13, I told you we'd get back to here at the end. We're going to talk about this whole armor of God. Ephesians 6, 13. Remember this comes right after that section of scripture we read where he talks about that we're facing the principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness of this age. And then he says, Wherefore take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all taking the shield of faith wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit which is the word of God the key to victory for us is to equip ourselves with this armor of God the key for victory for our children is for us as fathers to help them equip themselves it is for us to put the sword in their hand. It is for us to help them put the helmet on their head and the shoes on their feet and the breastplate of righteousness on their chest. It is our job as fathers to put this armor on our children and to help them to wear it and prepare them to be battles in this spiritual war that we are fighting, that all of us are in. This is the equipment that you need to teach your sons and your daughters how to yield. You need to teach them to stand for the truth of God's word. You need to teach them about the importance of righteousness and righteous, righteous decision making. How to make good godly decisions in their life. You need to teach them about the importance of reaching out to others for, with the gospel and salvation. The importance of salvation to not only us but the world around us. You need to teach them about the importance of faith. And instill within them a desire and a love for God's word and learning God's truth. It's up to you to equip your children. It's up to you fathers to take that primary responsibility to say, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. We're going to equip ourselves with the armor of God and we're going to stand firm against the wiles of the devil. We're going to see those arrows of Satan coming and we're going to be ready for them. We're going to be ready to dodge them. We're going to be ready to stick that shield up. We're going to be ready to fight against Satan because we're prepared. And we're not only prepared ourselves, but we've prepared our children. And so that they know as they grow up and they step out into the world on their own, we have shot them off as that arrow and we are, we are hitting that mark. We are at least giving them the best chance to hit that mark so that they can step out on their own as soldiers in the army of the Lord fighting this spiritual battle that is waging around us, that is raging all around us. My children are too important to me to not take this seriously. I love my kids. And I will not lose them willingly. I will not allow Satan to take them. I will not allow this world and this society to take them if I can help it. Now they have free will and I can't control what they do later on in life. But I am their father. And if no one else is going to step up for them, I will. And no one else is going to care about my kids more than I am. I'm their father. It's my responsibility and it's my job. And if you're a father here tonight, it's your responsibility and it's your job to take the lead and to say, I'm not going to let Satan have my kids. I'm going to teach them. I'm going to train them. I'm going to prepare them. I'm going to love them. I'm going to spend time with them. I'm going to bond with them. I'm going to build trust with them. I'm going to be that kind of a father that they trust, that they look up to, that they can come to for good godly advice and wisdom. I'm going to teach them how to discern from right and wrong and make good decisions instead of bad ones. I'm going to teach them the why behind decisions and not just tell them what to do because I'm the parent. It's up to us fathers to step up and say, we're going to lead our, our family. We're going to take the time that it takes. We're going to seize every opportunity because this type of training, this type of intentionality, it takes a lot of time and effort to do. And it is much easier to sit back and relax and not think about it. 
It's much easier to take the approach that we're just going to shield them and protect them from everything and that'll work out. That's the much easier approach, but it's not the more effective approach. And I want to encourage you to prioritize your kids and don't let anything else in life stand in the way of you being the father that God has called you to be. You are too important. I want to leave you tonight with a lesson from history. Charles Francis Adams was the grandson of John Adams and the son of John Quincy Adams. And he was diligent every day in writing inside his journal. His fourth born son was named Henry Brooks. Henry got his love of writing from his dad, Charles. And Henry, as a kid, began to every day take notes in a journal just like his dad. And one day after fishing with his father at eight years old, Henry wrote in his journal, he said, went fishing with my father today, the most glorious day of my life. And we see that amazing perspective of a, father, of a son who got to spend that day with his father, not doing anything else, but just spending time and fishing together. Just bonding and spending that time together. 30 years later, after talking about this for years and, and reminiscing and seeing that day as something really special, Charles passed away. And Henry was going through all of his dad's old journals. And he found the journal from this particular year. And so he decided to compare what his father wrote on that day with what he had written at eight years old. And when he opened up his father's journal, he read these words. Went fishing with my son. A day wasted. And can you imagine the pain that that must have caused poor Henry to realize that a day that meant so much to him in spending time with his father, his dad was thinking about all the other things that he could be doing, all the other things that he could be more efficient at, the work that he could, that he could be doing, the money that he could be making, the problems he could be solving, and he was everywhere except there with his son. And he didn't even see that day with his son as valuable or important. He saw it as a day wasted. And I want to encourage you tonight not to see that time with your children as wasted time. You can be the best provider in the world, but you need to be a good father. You can be the best Christian in the world, but you need to be a good father. And your life needs to have balance. And you don't need to see those opportunities with your children as a waste. Because every opportunity that you have to spend time with them is a chance to impart some of God's wisdom on them. To teach them how to grow up and to be good godly men and women. That's what we want. We're releasing them out in that world. We're shooting them towards that mark. And too many times we take on this attitude that Charles had. Don't see it as a waste. See it as an opportunity. Spend every opportunity that you have with your children. Do that because that's what God has called you to do. Be the leader that God has called you to be. Your kids are looking to you to be their example, to be their hero, to be their leader. Don't disappoint them. If you're here this evening... And you're subject to the gospel call. Maybe you're here and you recognize, even though we've not talked much about it tonight, that you need to get your life right with Christ. We offer you an opportunity to be baptized into Christ tonight. If you're here tonight and you are a Christian, maybe you realize through our course of discussion tonight that there's things that are lacking in your life. Maybe there's things that are lacking in your parenting. There's things that are lacking in, in fulfilling the call that God has given to you. We can pray for you and pray with you and help you to resolve those issues and restore your relationship with God. And tomorrow night, we're going to get together and we're going to talk more about family. And we're going to talk about issues that exist sometimes in families and problems that exist. And how to overcome bitterness and forgive and work through family conflicts. And so I invite you back tomorrow as we continue this study. But tonight, if we can help you in any way, we ask that you would come sit on our front pew as we stand and sing.